This podcast is brought to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Church from Lubbock, Texas. For more information, please visit our website at faithchurchlubbock.com. But what you find out is it's in the Bible. And so we've become a society, even a church, where we think one of our callings is to be critical. One of my callings is to be fault-finding, but I, I can't find critical being one of the gifts of the Spirit, and I can't find fault-finding in any of the fruit of the Spirit. And so I'm just going to warn you right now, this is going to be one of these series that will be very easy to say amen or oh me. And so it's, it's not all easy, but I believe it needs to really be spoken. And so we will begin here in the book of Proverbs chapter 10. Proverbs 10 verse 18. Whoever hides hatred has lying lips. So hatred hides behind lying lips. And it really has this meaning that we, we speak peace, but on the inside of us, it's like we lay this ambush to defame others. Actually, one translation says, who hides hatred has lying lips. You're nothing but a liar is what it said. And whoever spreads slander is a fool. The word slander has the meaning to be false and malicious. And so it says you prove yourself to be a fool. The Amplified calls you a self-confident fool. Again, amen or oh me. Verse 19. In the multitude or abundance of words, sin is not lacking. So when I have excessive talking and excessive speech, he, he said it's ultimately going to lead to sin. In other words, you, you need to learn when to keep your mouth shut. And there's times that your, your opinion just really, really doesn't matter. And so sometimes we have this thought, words are cheap. Well, words aren't cheap, okay? They're really expensive. So he goes on a little more here. And I'm saying he and then Solomon who writes this. And he said, but he who restrains his lips, he who bites his tongue, is wise. So right here immediately we find out you're either going to be a fool or you're going to be wise and it has to do with what I do or don't do with my tongue. Verse 20. The tongue of the righteous is choice silver. So when you talk about choice silver, choice silver has to be refined. So has my tongue been refined? I believe it's important that we see this. And he goes on to say the heart of the wicked is worth little. The lips of the righteous feed many. What does the lips of the righteous nourishes many? But fools die for a lack of wisdom. So you begin to see some things right here that just the Bible becomes very clear about the power of the tongue, which you can find in Proverbs 18 also. But I believe that as a society, we've become addicted to this enemy that, that resides on the inside of every one of us. And even with the church, it's easy to complain. It's easy to be critical, fault-finding, to be a murmurer. 
And I'm not just saying that, that that comes out of our mouth. I'm talking also about social media. It's the same thing. You can be very critical or be opinionated, but sometimes your opinion just doesn't matter. Wow. So go with me to the book of Numbers chapter 11. Numbers chapter 11 and something that started happening, I don't know, months ago with me. The Lord began to work on me because many times my gun was like, or my mouth was like a machine gun. Man, how many of you ever just said stuff out of your mouth and then you're like, oh my gosh, why did I say that? And so this started with me a couple months ago and whew, I, I wish I could stand before you and tell you I got all this under control. I don't, okay? I, I am a work in progress is what I am in this. And I'm telling you, the Lord is dealing with me. So what goes on here in Numbers chapter 11 is the Israelites, God has moved them out of Egypt on the way to the promised land, a land that flows with milk and honey. But it was easier for God to get Israel out of Egypt than it was to get Egypt out of Israel. Now what I mean by that, it was easier physically for God to get them out. But even though he got them out of Egypt, Egypt was still in their hearts. And so God's desire was they stayed in the promised land. But I, I got to get Egypt out of my heart in order to stay in the promised land. And so when we think about the word Egypt, Egypt is a sign of the world. God doesn't want us to go back to that. So here we are in Numbers 11, and what you're going to see is how easy it is to be critical of God and critical of other people. Verse number one, Numbers 11. Now when the people complained, it's amazing it stops, starts this way. And when the people complained, Israel had short-term memory. They had forgot all the miracles that God had done. They had forgot how God had split the Red Sea for them. And so all of a sudden, they just begin to complain. And notice here it says, the people begin to complain. Now, before I judge Israel and the people here, man, I'm telling you, there's times you gotta look at yourself, okay? So it goes on to say, and it displeased the Lord. Now, me and you, we can complain, but understand right there what he said. When you complain, you displease the Lord. For the Lord heard it. And you'll see this a couple times in there. When we complain and we become critical, the Lord hears it. And when the Lord hears it, pay close attention to what he thinks of it. And his anger was aroused, so the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some in the outskirts of the camp. There were consequences for complaining. Verse 2. Then the people cried out to Moses, and when Moses prayed to the Lord, the fire was quenched. And so they realize what's going on, and they say, pray, Moses, pray. Intercede on, on our behalf right here. Verse 3. So we call the name of the place Tabra, or blaze, or burning, because the fire of the Lord had burned among them. Now, this wouldn't be the last time there would be a place named because of their complaining. But their complaining was so bad, they named a place. Think about it in this sense. 
It would be like you taking a trip to Riadosa and you get out there in the middle of nowhere and there's a historic marker and you pull over. Well, this is what takes place. This was such a historic event that the Bible said they named a place after it. Not a place you want to visit, okay? Verse four. Now the mixed multitude, and when you see the word the mixed multitude, these were people that followed the, the Israelites out of Egypt. Some references call them riffraff. Some call them the, the rabble that went with them. And so it says here, now the mixed multitude who went among them, they yielded to intense craving. So what happened here is the riffraff begin to express their opinion over and over and over, and their influence got on the Israelites. They begin to complain, they've been to whine, they, they, they were discontented, and so they listened to these people. Now, pay close attention what they're mad about, the end of verse four. So the children of Israel also wept again, and they said, who will give us meat to eat? We want some meat, Lord. Where's the beef? We want meat. We want some chicken nuggets. So what happens in our lives, just like them, instead of giving thanks for what we don't have, or let me back that up, instead of giving thanks for what we do have, we criticize what we don't have. Anybody ever done that? I don't want vegetable, God. I want mac and cheese. See, I, I highlight this because it's, it's very easy to become critical. Now, their criticism here is aimed at Father God. For you and me to criticize Father God, it reveals a lack of fear. I don't fear God. You fear God, you're not gonna be critical of God. You're gonna be grateful. So he goes on to say here in verse five, we remember, now they're going back in times, we remember the fish which we ate freely in Egypt. We had fish and it didn't cost us nothing. In one sense that was true, in the other sense there, it wasn't true, okay? He goes on to say, the cucumbers, the melon, the leeks, the onions, and the garlics. So what happens right here is that food was free, but it came with a steep cost. They were slaves. They didn't have any rights. They didn't have anything good. But you know what they said? We remember how good we had it in Egypt. You had it sorry in Egypt, because if I study your life for 400 years, you cried to God and said, get us out of here. And now God gets you out of here and you don't like how God's doing things. Hmm. Verse six. But now our whole being is dried up. That's not true. You know what's dried up? They're, they're, they're dissatisfied. They play the old song, I can't get no satisfaction with you, God. Help us. And he goes on to say, but our whole being is dried up. There's nothing at all except this manna before our eyes. So do you see what they're critical of? 
the manna. The manna that God had blessed them with. Now, the things that we read about, the meat, the onions, the garlic, those were in Egypt, that was the world. The manna signifies heaven. In John 6, 48, it says that Jesus is the bread of life. So you know what they're saying? We hunger more for the things of the world than we hunger for God. Now again, you can criticize, but there's gonna be consequences. So what begins to happen here is their complaining became contagious. And sometimes in your life and my life, we must take inventory with who we align with in this life because often who we run with, their attitude will begin to influence us. And oftentimes that's not good. So here's the question. The people you run with, the people you allow to influence, do they lead you closer to God or farther away from God? Now this is what was going on with them right here. It was contagious. Verse number 10. Then Moses heard the people weeping throughout their families. Everyone at the door of the tent. Now, this may speak a little bit to, to maybe your background. Don't, don't raise your hand on this, please. But just for a second, how many of you were raised in a home where it was the norm to be critical, to be judgmental, to be fault-finding? The reason I highlight that is because you see that right here. The whole family was affected by this. Now, maybe that was the way you were brought up, and that's all you know is yak, 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 complain, complain, complain. But it doesn't have to stay that way. And I don't believe God wants us to stay that way because look how he ends here in, in verse 10. The anger of the Lord was greatly aroused, and Moses was also displeased. So again, because of their plain, complaining, they got God's attention, but were not in a good way. Verse 11, so Moses said to the Lord, why have you afflicted your servant? And why have not found favor in your sight that you have laid the burden or the responsibility of all these people on me? So you know what Moses is saying? I don't like this job, Father God. I don't want to be responsible for all those bedwetters. Verse 12. Did I conceive all these people? No. Did I beget them that you should say to me, carry them in your bosom as a garden carries a nursing child to the land which you swore to their fathers? And he's saying here, I didn't do this, Father God. This was all your idea. Now, I believe the reason that Moses is saying that because their criticism began to work on him day by day. Verse 13. Where am I going to get meat to give to all these people? For they weep all over me saying, give us meat that we may eat. And so Moses, is, he, he's carrying his complaint to God. I believe God's okay when we carry our complaints to him. Say, Father God, this is how I feel. And Moses is saying, I, I don't know where I'm going to get the beef. I don't know where I'm getting chicken nuggets for them. 
But you want to see how bad this was then? Look at verse four or verse 15. If you treat me like this, please kill me here and now. He said, just kill me. I, I would rather get out of here than put up with this. So again, when, you, when you're around people that complain and are critical day after day, it wore on him. And he goes on and says, do not let me see my wretchedness. Don't let me see the failure of my efforts. I, I can't handle this anymore, Father God. Now let me give you a little insight. He doesn't die and God doesn't kill him. So what God does is God says, I'm going to give you some help. I'm going to give you 70 elders to help you with the burden. So we keep reading here down in verse 18 now. So he's got the 70 that are helping. Then he says, you shall say to the people, consecrator, set yourself apart for tomorrow. And you shall eat meat, for you have wept in the hearing of the Lord, saying, who will give us meat to eat? So God says, I'm going to give you meat to eat. And it's almost like they're complaining and they're being opinionated, starts working on God. And if you read it, it's like God gave in to them. That's what it looks like. That's not what happens. It ends verse 18 and says, for it was well with us in Egypt. No, it wasn't. Liar, liar, it was not well with you in Egypt. Therefore, the Lord will give you meat and you shall eat it. Now watch what takes place here. You shall not eat one, you shall not eat not one day, not two days, not five days, not 10 days, nor 20 days, but for a whole month. You're going to have a meat buffet for the whole month. Every day, you're going to have meat, you're going to have beef, you're, every day. And you read that and you're thinking, man, God is being gracious to him. Read the rest of the verse. Until it comes out of your nostrils and becomes loathsome to you. And when you read what he's talking about right here, he, he's literally saying, until you gag, until you become ill, until you become so nauseated that you get sick of meat. Why would God say that? Now watch the rest of the verse. Because you have despised the Lord who is among you, and you have wept before him saying, why did we ever come out of Egypt? You know what they just did to God? <laughs> they spit in God's face. They act like God had done them wrong. Now, this is where this gets interesting. How many of you have ever criticized God? Anybody in here ever criticized God? If you've criticized God, raise your hand. And if you haven't, get up and come down here because you're lying, okay? I mean, something is a little bit, where are you at, God? Why aren't you answering my prayers? See, we live in this, this microwave mentality. God, that prayer should be answered in 13 seconds. Now. See, that's being critical. And so, you can do that, I can do that, but understand, there's not only consequences, you're gonna get God's attention. Keep reading. 
And Moses said, the people who I am among are 600,000 men on foot. That doesn't count women and children, just the men. Yet, you have said, now this is Moses saying to God, Moses said, yet you have said, God, I'm going to give them meat that they may eat for a whole month. Father God, shall flocks and herds be slaughtered for them to provide enough for them? Or shall all the fish of the sea be gathered together for them to provide enough for them? So you know what Moses is doing now? He's been around those bedwetters so long, he begins to question God's ability. You know what the message says? God, I don't think you can do this. I don't think you're capable. But look at God's response in verse 23. And the Lord said to Moses, you know what, we might as well stop just a second. And the Lord said to Gloria, and the Lord said to Michael, and the Lord said to Warren, and the Lord said to me. And listen to what the Lord said. Has the Lord's arm been shortened? In other words, Moses, is the Lord limited? Can I not do what I say I can do? And so he goes on to say here, now you shall see whether what I say will happen to you or not. And so he tells Moses, just hang around a little while, pal. You're gonna see I'm a man of my word. And so we read all this. Now, I don't know if you've ever read this, but this is where it really gets good. Same chapter, verse 31. Now wind went out from the Lord and it brought quail from the sea. That's an interesting thought. He brought quail from the sea. How many of you in here have ever seen quail come up from the sea? How many of you have ever been fishing and see quail come up out of the lake? You know what? I believe God's making a point here. He's going to make it so clear this is God. So the quail come out of the sea and left them flutter near the camp about a day's journey on this side, about a day's journey on the other side, all around the camp and about two cubits above the surface of the ground. Now let me help you just a little bit with this. This is mind-blowing. Here's the camp 15 miles this way and here's the camp 15 miles this way and, and that's the dimension of the quail and when it says two cubits, you know what that means? It's three feet deep of quail for 30 miles. You know what that means? It rained quail. It was a blizzard of quail. I mean, quail everywhere they looked. Verse 32. And all the people stayed up all that day. I bet so. And all night and all the next day, and they gathered quail. He who gathered the least among them gathered 10 omers, and they spread them out for themselves all around the camp. So I'm reading all that, and I'm thinking, wonder how much this is. To the least of them, it was 60 bushels. There were guesstimations that it was 105 million quail. And let me help you with that just a little bit. You know what that means? Light the grill. It's time to barbecue. It's time to get busy. We got quail everywhere. 
And the people stayed up all that night. So we jumped to verse 33. But while the meat was still between their teeth before it was chewed, uh-oh, the wrath of the Lord was around or against the people and the Lord struck the people with a very great plague and not only the Lord demonstrate that I can provide, but you know what just take place? The ones who instigated all the whining, the complaining, and the criticizing, they died. They died. They didn't even have time to get a toothpick out. They died. So I read that, and you know what I realize? Thank God we live under grace. Because if we didn't live under grace, how many of us would have died? Verse 34. So we call the name of that place, another historical marker, whatever that is, I can't even pronounce that word, whatever. The graves of craving and gluttony. You know what just killed them? Their cravings and their gluttony. So God says, enough, enough. So you would think the lesson would be learned, but we start in chapter 12, verse one. Then Miriam and Aaron, that is Moses' older siblings, they spoke against Moses. That word spoke there literally means they criticized Moses because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married, for he had married an Ethiopian woman. So they get mad at who he, he marries, but most believe that their anger wasn't who he married. It was because they didn't view his position of authority like he did or how God saw him. That they were mad. They were upset. They were jealous. Verse 2. So they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? Now look at that last phrase. And the Lord heard it. You know what I realize? When I start yakking about other people, the Lord hears it. Have you ever yacked against people? I have. And I'm telling you, God is working overtime on this guy right now. Woo. James 1.19 says, be swift to hear and slow to speak. Be swift to hear and slow to speak. I don't know if you've ever thought about this or not, but that's why God gave you one mouth and two ears. He didn't give you two mouths and one ear. Could you imagine the damage we'd do with two mouths? When he said, be swift to hear and slow to speak, was he telling us, be slow to speak your opinion? Now, it's one thing to speak the word of God, but it's another thing when I become very opinionated. Verse three. Now, the man of Moses, woo, he was very humble more than all the men who were on the face of the earth. He was exceedingly humble. The message says he was quietly humble. So when I begin to look at, at Miriam and Aaron's criticism of him, you know what I find out? Moses never responded. Never said a word. God gives grace to the humble. Here's a thought for you. You know why I believe Moses never responded? One, he knew how to keep his mouth shut, but number two, sometimes you just gotta look at the source from where it came from. And sometimes you just gotta have your thought, 
I'm not wasting my words on them because all they are is jealous and envy of what God's done in my life. Now, their criticism was aimed at Moses, but you gotta ask yourself this question. Who put Moses in the position he was in? God did. So in a roundabout way, their criticism is actually aimed at Father God. Verse four. Suddenly the Lord said to Moses and Aaron and Miriam, come out, you three, to the tabernacle of meeting. So the three came out. We're gonna take a little trip to the woodshed, fellas. Then the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and he stood in the door of the tabernacle. Now, can you get this picture? God came down. His glory came down. Powerful. And he called Aaron and Miriam, and they both went forward. He said, he came down, he said, you two step forward. Uh-oh. Son of a bendigo. Uh-oh. Not good. Then he said to Miriam and Aaron, hear now my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. You don't. I speak to him in a dream. You don't. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in my house. I speak with him face to face, even plainly, and not in dark saints. He sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? You, you thought it was okay to be critical of him, my servant Moses. Now, here's another one of these ones. Don't raise your hand. How many of you ever been critical of whoever the president of our nation is? Doesn't matter who, which one it is. See, if you didn't raise your hand, you're lying again. But the Apostle Paul said in Romans, Romans 12, he said, we're to pray for those in authority. But see, even as Christians, we interpret we're to bash those in authority because they don't do what we think they should do. I can tell you guys, I'm guilty. But it's interesting right here. God calls them out, but I believe he's calling us out. Verse nine. So look at this. So the anger of the Lord was aroused against them and he departed. See, we, we get over on this thing because we're Americans. We have a, a, an amendment right called the freedom of speech. Well, speech isn't free. It's going to cost you. Now, I didn't get here today, but I will in the next few weeks. Matthew 7 verse 1 says that if you judge others, you'll be judged with the same judgment that you measured others. It'll be measured back to you. Actually, if you read that in the Amplified, it says if you judge or criticize others the same way you judge and criticize, it'll be measured back to you. Woohoo! Thank you, Pastor, for reading that. Oh, me. So as I, I look at verse 9, here's the question Do you see yourself? in any of the words or actions of Miriam 
and Aaron. You say, that's me. Now watch what happens. Ooh, this is, this is some rugged stuff here. And when the cloud departed from above the tabernacle, suddenly Miriam became leprous as white as snow. Then Aaron turned toward Miriam and there she was a leper. We don't fully understand leprosy in our society. In this situation, leprosy was a condition of the heart that manifested outwardly. What was the condition of her heart? She was the one that instigated the criticism toward Moses. So let me ask you something right now. If leprosy still moved in our society like it did that back then, how many of you right now would be a leper? Woof. And this stuff will get your attention real quick. This isn't something we hear in church anymore. But when I looked at the severity of it, God, God doesn't take lightly to this at all. So Miriam and Aaron are standing there and Aaron turns around and, and she's a, a, a leper. She's afflicted with leprosy. The, the definition that goes with leprosy here has the meaning of, of punishment of a sin as slander. Have we ever slandered? Yes. Ooh, this is powerful stuff here. Verse 11. So Aaron said to Moses, Oh my Lord, please do not lay this sin on us in which we have done foolishness and which we have sinned. Now listen real close what he just said. We have sinned. Don't lay this sin on. What was their sin? To think I can be critical and I can be opinionated and I can be fault finding and God just blows it off. He knew. And so what takes place here is Aaron stood in the gap and he repented for both of them. Something happens when we repent. And Father God, I, I've been prideful. I've been arrogant. I've been critical. See, when they sang that song, I'm no longer a slave to fear, and I'm changing the lyrics today. I'm no longer a slave to being critical. I don't want to be that way. When I see the consequences of this, and notice he said, since we have done so foolishly, please do not let her be as one dead whose flesh is half consumed when he comes out of his mother's womb. You know what this literally means? She's alive, but she lives like she's dead. She lives a death-like existence. Verse 13. So Moses cried out to the Lord saying, please heal her, O God, I pray. What a heart. He didn't look at her and say, good, you got what you deserved. No, he asked God to forgive her. He asked God to cleanse her. Then the Lord said to Moses, if her father had but spit in her face, would she not be shamed seven days? Let her be shut out of the camp seven days, and afterwards she may be received again. So when you see the spitting right there that he talks about, it was the ultimate sign of shame imposed on a wrongdoer. 
And he said, I don't even want to spit in her face. And so the Lord said, let her remain outside the city for seven days. You know what I believe that was? For people to see, God doesn't play around with this. And this is something me and you don't want to play around with. So for six weeks now, I mean, God has set on me and set on me. And there are times when I open my mouth, the Lord will, and I say this not in a disrespectful way, but sometimes I can be, I can be really hard-hearted and stubborn in my thinking. And the Lord will say, you need to shut up. Just be quiet. And I'm okay with the Lord talking to me that way. Because I realize the significance of what's going on. You know those saying, Mama used to say, if you can't say nothing, don't say nothing at all. Do you know there's a lot of truth to that? The Bible school I went to, the, the, the man was a man named Kenneth Hagin. He was working a job and every day at break, they would go in there and they would complain and they would criticize and they would be opinionated about this one man. They would all rip him over and over and over and over. And one day they said to Kenneth Hagin, they said, what do you say about him? And he said, he's got pretty blue eyes. You know what that means? It was easy for everybody else to express their opinion of what they thought about him, but Brother Hagin looked for the good in him. And I believe that's what needs to start happening to us. It's very easy to be opinionated and ugly about it, but what would happen if we begin to look at the good? I'm gonna ask you to stand up here this morning. Some of you are saying, I wish I wouldn't come to church today. No, you needed to be here. I warned you. Today it's going to be amen or on me. The word criticism means skilled in judging. Would that define you? Are you skilled in judging? See, I just want you to bow your head right here before God right now. I know we've heard a lot today. But the wise measure their words. The wise scrutinize their words. The wise think before they speak. And so if you're guilty of this, what would happen if we just came before the Lord today? See, that's the blessing of repentance. And say, Father God, I'm guilty. I am so guilty of this. But when we repent to God and we ask God to forgive us and we ask God to put a change of our heart in here, God's the God of a second chance. God's a, a God that he'll, he'll change the course of our life. But if I think I can keep living this way and there's not consequences, there's consequences. So just, just right now with your head bowed and your eyes closed, right here before God. I, I believe the Lord's dealing with people. He takes the word of God and he convicts our hearts. 
That's not, that's not me. That's not man. That's God. That's the Holy Spirit. So I said, Lord, I, I need a change. I need a change in my heart. I, I do not want to be critical and judgmental. I do not want to be opinionated all the time. And so as our, our team gets ready to sing here, something happens when we come to these altars. One, it's a sign of surrender. Two, it's a sign of humility that says, and Lord, I need your grace today. I'm not begging you, okay? But I believe God's wanting to raise the standard in our lives. And just maybe today, again, you came from a home that was very critical. What would happen today if you said, you know, Lord, I ask you to baptize me. There'd be a new sheriff in my home. We're going to honor God. We're, not, we're going to not be negative. We're not going to be a home that's critical of everything. But God just looks for the one that will say, that's me. And so as they begin to sing, I, I welcome you to come down here. And I believe God's going to do open heart surgery on us. Go ahead, guys. Thank you once again for joining us on this podcast. To check out more services from Faith Church, you can find our live broadcast on YouTube or check out our website at faithchurchlubbock.com for more information on upcoming events, how to give, and how you can get involved.